Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Welcome to episode number 323 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Huge episode today. We're going to be talking about the top seven mistakes that tennis players make. And a big shout out to Anne Elizabeth, uh, just Anne Elizabeth, who said, what are common mistakes that lower level players make that are obvious to a higher level player? And I thought this was a really good question. We haven't done Q&A on the podcast in a little while. So Anne Elizabeth, thank you so much for the great suggestion. And I sat down, thought about it, came up with seven different things that when you ask a 4-5 player or a 5-0 player or a professional player to watch somebody who's a beginner, maybe intermediate player, these are the things that, for me, jump out immediately and are probably the elements that make the biggest contrast right away and ability to play quality tennis. If you're missing all seven of these things, you cannot play quality tennis, period. If you have all seven of these things and they're relatively automatic and innate, then you're a solid tennis player, almost regardless of the quality of swing technique. Obviously, swing technique plays a role, but you could use poor swing technique, and if you have all seven of these things, then you're still going to be very, very successful at most levels of the amateur game. So let's jump right into it. And for all seven, I'm going to describe what most players do, and then kind of give you the antidote. I'll be giving you here. I'll be giving you the description of here's what great, high-level, successful tennis players do instead. So. Number one out of seven most common mistakes that tennis players make that set them apart is they try to impress instead of spar. And spar here, the thing of sparring like in a martial arts sense, kind of two players working cooperatively with each other. And this is something that frustrated me to no end when I had my normal, regular, standard teaching pro job at a country club. I would frequently go to the trouble of setting up a drill exactly for whatever my students needed to work on, and then I would ask them to complete that drill, and if that drill was hitting with me or hitting with a ball machine, then or maybe hitting uh, against a feed coming from me, then they'd be totally fine with it. But when I asked them to practice this drill with a peer, with somebody else their own level, and if that drill was cooperative in nature, the question I would get over and over and over again was, why in the world would I ever practice hitting to somebody instead of away somebody? As if hitting away from the other player is always the best shot, which it's not, first of all. And it's important to understand that cooperative hitting has nothing to do with hitting to somebody versus hitting away from them. It has everything to do with developing the timing, the precision, the accuracy, and the repeatability of being able to choose a specific target on purpose and then hit it, just nail it over and over again on purpose. That is the kind of skill and the kind of consistency and reliability that you need to be a great tennis player. And just kind of a way of thinking about this is if you're a singles player, a tennis court just on your own side is 1,000 square feet. 1,000 square feet. It's actually a little bit more than 1,000 square feet. And if you ask a 
person to stretch their arms out and just kind of uh, take a position on the court and say, okay, this is where this player is standing. And they kind of put their arm, their racket out to one side, then the other side. They're going to cover about six feet in either direction, meaning about three or four feet to their right, three or four feet to their left, and in front of them and behind them. Without moving their feet, six by six is 36 square feet. So when somebody is occupying a spot on the court and your goal is to hit away from that person, that is the most general, non-specific target, non-specific way of gauging success that you could possibly have out of a thousand square feet. If your way of measuring success is saying, oh, well, I didn't hit it to them, so it must be a good shot. You're talking about 4% of the court is being occupied by the person on the other side right now without them running or moving or trying to get to the ball. And so (laughs) if your only way of judging, oh, that was a good shot or that was a bad shot is, oh, well, I hit it away from them, so it must be a good shot. You've got a 96% chance of just hitting a random shot and hitting it away from where they are and only a 4% chance of randomly hitting it to them. So hopefully this is kind of connecting with you a little bit. The whole goal of cooperative hitting is to choose that 4% and say, okay, I want the ball to go to this person. They want it to go to me. And there's all kinds of different cooperative hitting. It doesn't necessarily literally mean hitting it to their strike zone, but frequently it, it, it does mean that. And that's because it's an excellent target to hone your accuracy and consistency and repeatability. And If you watch professional level players training, you'll see a ton of cooperative hitting because it's how they got as good as they are, among other things, obviously. But this isn't the the whole idea of, oh, I need to train myself to to hit away from the other person is just purely false. And I, I didn't really understand, I didn't really know how to articulate that very well back in the day. And I didn't really have a, necessarily a counter to that. And it kind of seemed to make a little bit of sense on the surface. But the reality is it's just kind of a scapegoat for somebody who doesn't really know how to control their shots. Because the reality is they could close their eyes and hit any random shot. And there's a high likelihood that it's going to go away from the other person. So that in and of itself is a poor measure of success when you're trying to control your development as a player. So that's big mistake number one, trying to impress and hit great competitive shots only in training instead of cooperative hitting. Big mistake number two, power instead of placement. And this probably sounds obvious on the surface, but but listen carefully. We're going to take a little bit of a wrinkle in this. Everybody kind of says, oh, consistency is more important than power, but we're going to go a little bit deeper into it. And first of all, power means relative to your peers. In other words, a powerful shot at a 3-0 level is not a powerful shot at all in the context of a 5.0 match. And I know that also kind of sounds obvious on the surface, but we'll get into it in a little bit more detail in just a second. Players with a low understanding of the game and how to be successful assume that the best possible shot in any given scenario must be the one that is hit with the most power. In other words... Yeah, I know I should probably try to hit this spot, but if I could hit this spot and hit it harder, then that must be the best possible shot. And so lots of players fall into the trap of consistently trying to hit 
just to the very edge of what they could possibly control. And so they're just always pushing the envelope of their own shot tolerance when they see an opening in the court. And so that's kind of how they gauge whether or not they have an opportunity. It's like, oh, there's an opening over there, aka, oh, I'm going to hit it away from them. And then they layer on top of that, oh, if I can hit it away from them and I can hit it with a little bit extra power, put a little bit of extra mustard on it, then I'll absolutely win this point. And I'll absolutely overpower this person and I'm going to win the match. On the other hand, players with an advanced understanding of how tactics work know that they can pick a a target or a certain pattern of play or a certain spin or height or depth that makes an opponent uncomfortable and simply execute that one thing really calmly and coolly and relaxed over and over and over again to win point after point after point. In other words, it's not about hitting harder. It's not even about hitting away from their opponent. They know that if they can find, if they can kind of poke and prod a little bit and find a little bit of a discomfort and then be able to just simply execute that shot that forces the, their opponent to hit that uncomfortable ball for them again and again, then they have a massive, massive advantage in the match. It has nothing to do with hitting hard. Hitting hard could be a benefit, but frequently it actually ends up being a detriment because it results in more errors. And so this is why maybe you've heard or maybe you've even said yourself, somebody watching a professional tennis match on TV, they're watching the the ball go back and forth. I've heard this dozens of times where somebody just kind of is walking through the room, there's tennis on TV, they watch a point or two and they make the comment, why do they keep hitting back to each other? as there's kind of a cross-court exchange back and forth, back and forth between both players. And it's because the players are following a geometrical pattern and they're playing for shot tolerance instead of playing for a kill shot. They're jabbing over and over again, trying to feel out the point. There's nuance to the point. It's not an on-off switch. It's not a binary thing of either attack or defend. There's a million shades of gray in between and the two players are trying to vie for position and get just a little bit of of an upper hand in the point so that they can tilt things in their favor the truth is most tennis points end with somebody making a mistake so high level tennis players players with a really good understanding of the game are constantly working for position in the points they're not seeing an opening because guess what there's always an opening There's a thousand square feet to cover and your opponent is only covering 36 square feet at any given point in time. So there's always an opening and it's a sucker play to see the opening and say, oh, there's an opening. I'm going to try to slap the ball to the opening because it's always there and you can always try it. But the fact of the matter is most points end with somebody messing up for no good reason. So if you're the player that's thinking in a power mindset, and your mentality is, I'm going to overpower them before they overpower me, and that's your only way of trying to gain the upper hand, then you'll constantly be putting yourself behind the eight ball. So that's a big one. Power instead of placement is a huge, huge mistake. Okay, with that, let's move ahead. This is kind of a cousin of number two. Number three, being tricky instead of being deadly. This is, this is a huge one. Playing great tennis is not about fooling your opponents or faking them out or 
even being totally unpredictable. I feel like this is a really common attitude and misconception that a lot of players have. They feel like, oh, if I can just be, if I can just really keep my opponent guessing and they never know what I'm going to hit next and I'm going to disguise my shots and they're not going to know if I'm going cross court or down the line or if I'm going to drive it deep or, or hit a drop shot or, or lob or hit topspin, then they'll be totally confused and I'm going to win the match. I'm going to win point after point. I'm going to win the match because they're just not even going to know what to do. And unfortunately, those players who try to do that, they, when they try to develop their strategy around that kind of mentality, they only end up faking themselves out. Because every change of spin, every change of tempo, every change of pattern, of depth and direction makes it more and more likely that they'll make mistakes. And most points end with mistakes. I just did a, an analysis of Wimbledon 2019 uh, for something different. I don't have all the stats right here in front of me because this is um, not something I was thinking about when I did the outline. But in Wimbledon, in the singles draw, combining men's and women's, there was something like 22,000 points played during the entire tournament, both men's and women's side combined. And on the fastest surface on the tour, the surface that's easiest to hit winners a third of the points ended with somebody making an unforced error. These are the most elite players in the world on the fastest surface that's easiest to hit winners. That includes aces, by the way. 33%, a third of the points finished with somebody just messing up for no reason, meaning they were in great balance, they were in good position, they were in control, they had every opportunity to hit a good shot, and instead they just messed up for no reason. And for us you know, who, who are not playing the main draw of Wimbledon, the percentage is much higher than that. We're making unforced errors much more frequently than one out of every three points. So if you're trying to mix things up every point and fake out your opponent, you're just going to end up making more mistakes. Really successful players at all levels focus on being predictably deadly. I'm going to say that again because it's important. Successful players at all levels of play focus on being predictably deadly. And a great illustration of this is Rafael Nadal. Every player to ever play Nadal in the last 10 years knows exactly what he's going to do. He's going to hit a heavy topspin. He's going to just grind down the backhand side of a righty player. And when there's an opening to hit his forehand to an open court, he's going to take it. He's going to run the opponent to death after grinding that backhand down. And any any possible... Um, effort to make him run, he's going to absolutely go 100,000% effort and chase everything down. Everybody knows that's how he plays over and over and over again. And yet he's one of the most difficult players to beat of all time in our sport. Now, of course, you might be saying to yourself, well, he's an incredible athlete. He's got incredible strokes and you're right. But the combination of those tools that are in his toolbox with the intentionality of how and when he uses those tools amplifies them and it amplifies the efficacy of those tools dramatically. It's the smart patterns that he plays and how doggedly he sticks to those patterns and how incredibly consistently and with such high intensity that he hits those safe and yet extremely difficult shots. That's why he's so successful. And we can copy that. We can 
we can choose the patterns that are high percentage and whether or not our opponents know if we execute it well, we can still win a tremendous amount of matches. Federer knows exactly what Nadal is going to do to him every single time. And yet he's still the most difficult person for him to face. So it has nothing to do with, with being tricky or disguising or sneaky or anything or unpredictable or anything like that. Great players know how to be predictably deadly. Okay, big mistake number four is tennis players decelerate instead of accelerate. It's kind of weird emphasizing that word. They decelerate instead of accelerate. Lower level players connect safety or risk with swing speed. So for kind of a beginner player up to intermediate level player, they're thinking, okay, slow is safe and fast is risky. And what they don't understand is that's only true if they hit the ball in a certain way. And so most lower, you know, beginner and intermediate players, anytime that they have to make a shot and it just really comes down to this point and they know that they don't want to beat themselves, everything slows down. They decelerate. And on the most important points, they're hitting their least competitive shots. They're slowing down more and more and more. The more important important the point is, the more is riding on each individual shot, the more they slow down. It's a hallmark of players that that have not developed very well as, as a player. They haven't developed their games the way that they should. Contrast that with high-level players. They've broken away from that paradigm completely. In fact, the best players swing faster when they get really tight or it's really important. And they can do that because they understand how to shape the ball for more safety. See, in the mind of a high-level player, more acceleration equals more spin. And more spin equals more safety. The more the ball spins, the more the ball curves. And the more the ball curves, the easier it is to avoid the net and also hit the ball into the court. But this only happens if you learn how to swing away from your target instead of towards it. What I mean by that is beginners and intermediate players start off doing what's most logical. They see a spot on the other side of the court that they want to hit the ball to, and they swing the racket in that direction because they think that's the best way to make the ball go towards their target. And it's a very logical and easy way to start. But if you stay on that path and you keep swinging harder and harder on that path, the ball will go faster and faster in a straight line towards that target. High-level players who've developed their games understand that on a serve, for example, they're not swinging towards the service box. They're swinging upwards and out to the side aggressively. And when I say up, I mean up, like away from the courts, up towards the sky and up out to the right if they're a right-handed player. They're not swinging towards the box. There's energy moving towards the box, towards the service box, but it's not the direction that their racket is predominantly moving in. Whereas beginners and intermediate players swing towards the box, which means to be safe, they have to slow down. High-level players speed up for more spin. Low-level players slow down. And as a result, they can create more safety by looping the ball and and just kind of tapping it over. But that gives their opponent tremendous advantage and opportunity. Whereas high-level players have safety and competitive advantage by using tons of spin, they can still hit the ball with a lot of pace while maintaining safety. 
So that is a huge distinction between lower level players and higher level players. And the direction of swing, by the way, it's not just for serves, it's for ground strokes too. Uh, ground strokes players who are just starting off swing towards their target, whereas high-level players are accelerating towards their target, but also very, very vertically, again, upwards towards the sky. It's a combination of forces. You do want the ball to go forwards, obviously, but you also need the ball to be lifted and spun so that it can curve and maintain safety. So that's number four. Number five out of seven, tension instead of relaxation. And this really goes hand in hand with, with number four, but they aren't always directly connected. And there's two reasons why players get tight physically. They get physically tight when they're mentally tight. We, we all understand that one. But players also get physically tight when they try harder. A lot of beginners and intermediate players understand um, intellectually, what I said in number four, that they need more spin. And so they need, they need to maintain the racket head speed. And so they try to accelerate the racket, but the more they try to accelerate the racket, the more everything tenses up and clamps down and gets rigid and tense. And so the racket's actually not free to move. And as a result, they don't make much spin. They don't make much racket head speed. And they actually end up just making more mistakes because their body is not moving very efficiently or smoothly. On the other hand, high-level players aren't immune to physical tightness due to nerves. That's something that all of us deal with from time to time. And so when you watch you know, Djokovic or Federer, Nadal or Serena Williams, they go through periods of being physically tight. They, they experience the nerves. We've talked about this a lot on the podcast. They experience that tension. And from time to time, they get relatively tight due to the gravity that they feel in whatever the situation is. But... The difference is when they want to deliver more force to the ball, they loosen their body instead of tightening it. Beginner and intermediate players, the harder they try, the more they clamp down on the racket. High-level players, the faster they want to swing, the looser their shoulder and arm and hand gets. That's because they know how to power their shots from their legs and their core and they allow their shoulder and their arm and their hand to just be totally loose and transfer that energy to the racket, which then transfers the energy to the ball. Contrast that with the beginner or intermediate player, and they're using their shoulder, their arm, and their hand to strike the ball and hit the ball. Their body's not doing very much. And so the harder they try to swing the racket, the more those muscles tense, the tighter they get, the more rigid they get, the less efficient the swing gets, the less spin they're able to make, and everything just kind of falls apart. Lots of mistakes happen that way. Lots of injuries happen that way. And lots of, lots of games get stuck and plateau because players don't know how to loosen up and use the big parts of their body to power their shots instead of the small parts of their body to power their shots. Okay, so that was number five, tension instead of relaxation. Number six and number seven are also cousins, and they have to do with being proactive and anticipatory. I think that's a word. Number six is high-level players move before contact is made on the other side. Low-level players move after. Low-level players are constantly chasing the tennis ball around the court, and that's because they wait and watch as their opponent hits 
before activating their body. And as a result, they're always playing catch up. They're always behind in the points and they're always kind of scrambling to stay alive. And it's like scramble from ball to ball. It's just one scramble to the next scramble to the next scramble. There's never any balance. There's never any gathering. There's never any composure. It's just kind of flailing back and forth and back and forth. And listen, I I can relate to that against certain levels of competition. We all know what that feels like. But unfortunately, beginners all feel like that frequently all the time. (laughs) And the big reason for that is the way in which they move their feet and when they move their feet. They're purely reactionary, and there's never any breathing room for them to be comfortable. On the flip side, high-level players act before the ball is hit on the other side of the court. I'm not talking about when they hit the ball. They're acting before their opponent hits the ball. And they do that by propelling their body into a proactive stance and into proactive action by loading their legs into an athletic base in preparation for pouncing towards the next ball. That's called a split step. And everybody's heard of the split step, but almost nobody uses it. I I mean... If I were to estimate across all levels of the game, I would estimate 10, maybe 15% of players in the world across all levels of the game use a split step. It leaves 85, 90% of players are literally standing. And this is one of my favorite things to show players when we do clinics in person and I walk around with an iPad. One of my favorite things is to show players the contrast between Kevin and Megan hitting with each other and showing their footwork pattern and how they they activate their body with a split step before the ball is hit on the other side of the court. And then I show them their own footwork pattern and they're literally just standing there. And in slow motion playback, it's so obvious and so stark as I move through the, the video that the ball is, is going towards their opponent, towards their opponent, towards their opponent in slow motion, and their feet are just static. They're just on the court, just flat, and they're standing, 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 standing. The ball is hit on the other side. They're still standing, and then I slowly move the video forwards. The ball is coming off the racket and then moving towards the net, towards the net, and their feet just continue to be static. And it's like, oh my gosh, how are my feet not moving? And the answer is because they don't have the habit, it's not baked in, it's not automatic. If they told themselves, if they reminded themselves, it would happen, but they haven't trained the habit into their subconscious. And so low-level players are literally standing there and watching as a spectator and waiting for the ball to be hit, and then they're chasing the ball. High-level players, by the time the ball has been hit by their partner or opponent, They've already activated their body while low-level players are standing and watching. And I I cannot emphasize this enough. This is a a major, major differentiator between levels of play. You will not be a high-level player without the split step being an automatic, subconscious thing that just intuitively happens because you've trained it. Not because you know you're supposed to do it, but because you've actually put in the work of training that movement and it happens automatically without even having to think about it. So feet moving after contact instead of before is a massive difference between 
beginner and intermediate players, and high-level players. And that brings us to number seven. Again, this goes hand-in-hand, hand, but it's not the same thing. Beginners and intermediate players are reactive instead of proactive. High-level players are anticipating and positioning ahead of time, whereas lower-level players, again, are spectators, and they're constantly behind for a reason. That's because they're not positioning themselves in the right place before the ball is hit. And that's because they're watching and then chasing. They're watching their shot travel, and they're checking out to see if it's going to be in or not. They're admiring their shots, or maybe they're not happy with it, and they're saying, oh my gosh, look at that terrible shot. And while they're fixated on the quality or um, lack of quality of the shot that they just hit, they're literally standing there and watching while their opponent runs for the ball. And they're not doing anything with their position. When they do move after the ball is hit by their opponents or their partner, then it's just kind of a, a general effort to get back towards the middle of the court again. Uh, I'm sorry, that's before the, the ball is hit. If they are recovering, it's just kind of like, oh, I know I'm supposed to move back towards the middle of the court. And so there might be kind of a, a casual kind of drifting back towards the hash mark, towards the middle of the baseline if they're playing singles. There's no urgency about it. And they also don't understand that rarely should they actually be moving to the middle, but they should be moving someplace other than the middle to be in the best possible spot. On the other hand, high-level players, as soon as they complete their stroke, they're working hard with high intensity to put themselves in the optimal position before the ball gets to the other side of the court. And they're setting up shop in exactly the geometric middle of what their opponent could possibly do on the next shot. And that is usually not the actual middle of the court. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here. But long story short, the only time you should be recovering to the middle of the baseline is when the ball is in the middle of the baseline on the other side of the court. If your opponent is hitting their shot from right on the hash mark, then your ideal position should be on the hash mark on your side of the court. But when the ball travels away from the middle, that changes the spread of the different shots your opponent could hit. And so your ideal ready position on the court on your side of the of the court changes as the ball moves from spot to spot over on your opponent's side of the court so high level players are aware of this and without thinking about it because they've trained it they're automatically and with intensity and quickness and urgency moving themselves to just the right spot before the ball even gets to their opponent on the other side And in addition to that, while they're making that intense movement to just the right spot, they are watching with intensity their opponent to check out what their position is exactly on the court, what their balance is like, what their opponent's preparation is like. And they're kind of playing back through film in their mind of, okay, all of the times that my opponent has been in this position, hitting this shot and this kind of posture with this kind of preparation usually the ball has gone to X, Y, or Z spot on my side of the court. They've tried to hit this shot in response. And so they're peering into their crystal ball and saying, okay, what is most likely to happen based on this scenario? And so not only have they physically moved themselves to the best possible starting position to respond to the next shot, but they're looking ahead mentally and anticipating what is most likely so that if and when it happens, 
mentally they're all re- they're kind of already rehearsed what is what's going to happen next they're already prepared for that shot they're prepared for it positionally and they're prepared for it mentally and remember point number 6 they've already preloaded and preactivated their body with a split step and this is why great tennis players make the game look so easy they're doing all of these things which beginner players don't even see i mean they they kind of see the culmination of all these elements they see the ease in which these different things when combined allow this person to get from ball to ball and just kind of float and glide across the court surface and just kind of magically end up being in the right place in the right time very frequently and it's kind of a mystery to players who who don't understand these different principles and it's a huge differentiator when you're when you're watching somebody who doesn't do these things they're just struggling for ball after ball when you're watching somebody who does do these things they are it's almost like they knew already and that's because frequently they did plus they already activated their body in the right direction at the right time and so they just get to shots much much more easily so quick review here number one they try to impress instead of spar number two they power instead of use placement number three they're tricky instead of deadly number four they decelerate instead of accelerate. Number five, there's tension instead of relaxation. Number six, their feet move after instead of before contact on the other side. And number seven, they're reactive instead of proactive. There's no anticipation. So Anne Elizabeth, these are the mistakes that lower level players make that are obvious to higher level players. And these seven things, if you can train these seven things, Again, independent of technique, your level of play will skyrocket. If you're not doing any of them now, if you just add one or two, it'll make a dramatic difference. If you can get a just kind of a basic understanding and execution of all seven, it will absolutely transform your ability to move and play and hit the ball smoothly and efficiently and be in the right place at the right time. Choose smart targets. It's, it's really a little bit of everything here. So I hope you've enjoyed this. And Elizabeth, thank you for the great question. Thank you for listening. If you hear my voice right now, I appreciate you. I hope this helps you enjoy the game that you love even more. For more free game-improving instruction, be sure to check out EssentialTennis.com, where you'll find hundreds of video, audio, and written lessons. Also, be sure to subscribe to Essential Tennis on iTunes and YouTube, where we are the number one resource in the world, providing passionate instruction for passionate tennis players. Thank you so much for listening today. Take care, and good luck with your tennis.